Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, as recommended by Mike Snoonian and Jerry Smith of The Pod and The Pendulum, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about their feature film debut, Resolution from 2012. Um... Once again, kind of getting back to a, a theme that I've touched upon numerous times on this podcast and even in the last episode of engaging with a film on its own terms or having expectations going into a film which can sometimes tilt or skew the viewing experience. This was another movie that I, I, I don't want to say I didn't know what to expect, but I expected something different and that's that's neither good nor bad. Uh, I, I think, and I don't know why I got this impression, but for some reason I thought I was going to be getting more of a found footage film. Um, I, I have no reason to think about that or no reason to believe that neither Jerry nor Mike talked about that. Um, I hadn't read anything about it, and yet for some reason in my subconscious something was telling me this is a found footage movie or this is going to have elements of found footage in it, which it did. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But that was not the main creative um, drive or, or, or aesthetic of the story. Um, a lot of handheld kind of shaky cam to kind of get that more intimate, personal um, feel and, and not so detached and everything like that. But um, I, I, I was expecting something different. And so based on those expectations and then my viewing experience of it... Um, <clears throat> Also, I should say, I think I was expecting something a bit more, I don't want to say straightforward, but this film is very meta, which is something that was lost on me at first until I started researching um, and reading uh, up on this film a little bit, and so that was something that I didn't really anticipate, so I think a lot of the cleverness of the film was sort of lost on me as I was watching it for the first time. So I know my, my initial impression when I got done with it was thinking... Well, you know, they did the best with what they had, um, which is kind of condescending um, or pretentious or, or both, I suppose. One does not preclude the other. Um, but I, I just kind of, you know, imagine that, you know, you have these two filmmakers who I know, uh, as Mike and Jerry said, you know, one of their dads, like, owned the land on which they shot. So they had this idea of, like, listen, we got all this land out in the country. We've got access to this lone cabin in the woods. Uh, we gotta we gotta make a movie, right? I mean, uh, you know, this is the stuff that legends are made of. This is the stuff that careers are made of. This is how, you know, um, uh, Sam Raimi made his name. You know, he had a cabin in the woods and he had a few people and he had a, a little bit of money. So like he and he did it. And and, and so that's and, and so certainly there there is um, this is a film which is um, very much shaped by its budget or lack of budget in the sense of there's not a whole lot of a visceral payoff there's not a whole lot of effects or uh jump scares or or things that you would typically expect in a in a uh, a typical genre fair so i thought well you know they they didn't have much money but they had a a desire they had the land and they had the know-how so they they made a film and, and good on them basically and i can understand the impulse certainly um my 
White's family has a, a cabin up in the Adirondacks, which was built in the 1800s, and so there's no running water or electricity, and it's just kind of out in the middle of the woods. And so, of course, when I get up there, I'm thinking, like, how can I make a horror movie in this isolated location? So I certainly understand the impulse. And so um, with that, I guess, in the back of my mind, and, and that's very recent for me because we were just up there last weekend. We're going we're gonna to be going back up there again this coming weekend. I guess I was kind of skewed or I was looking at this film through kind of a perspective of my own experience, my own interest, my own bias, and just kind of projecting on them as like, well, you know, they, they wanted to make a movie. They, they didn't really have a lot of money for effects or anything, so instead they were just going to kind of make this intimate character exploration of these two friends, and, and then some horror stuff was going to exist on the periphery because that's the, really the only thing that, could, they, that they could afford. Um, and so the, the payoff uh, in this movie is, is, is intellectual instead of visceral. You know, there's not a big showdown. There's not um, explosions. There's not, though there is fire. Uh, but there's not, you know, a, a, a squaring off with a big bat or anything like that. It's it just that the payoff it comes as, as, as sort of, um, as I said, an intellectual payoff as to if you have been paying attention to the, the, the seeds that have been planted, what ultimately sprouts at the end is a logical conclusion but not in the way that I was expecting um and my deconstruction I guess of my expectations um began with reading the wikipedia entry on this film and and noting that um that the 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 plot line of the um the detox basically of um the you know the of uh, of mike kidnapping not kidnapping i guess he was kidnapping but handcuffing chris to the um you know to the cabin and just kind of keeping him there for seven days until he can get off crack basically like that was that was kind of secondary to what they were planning basically what benson and moorhead were planning so it wasn't so it didn't seem like what started was this exploration of these two characters what started was this idea of we have this setting and we have some things we want to do with the genre, but we need to kind of have a valid reason to keep these two guys in a cabin by themselves for seven straight days. And so reading that kind of made me realize at first that, okay, so maybe it wasn't the characters that were the heart of this. Maybe they didn't think of, well, maybe there's the confirmation there, but so it seems like that the the characters, the heart, wasn't the start of it. It was instead what they wanted to do with the genre. Um, and so what, what, what transpires is, is a film that has to work within the confines of ideas instead of set pieces. And those ideas come from parodying horror tropes um, and, you know, how they could do it within, the, in, within a, a low-budget um, environment, basically. And so, and, and once again, th these are thoughts that I came upon as reading and researching, this did not occur to me naturally, and I think if it did, and that's no fault of the film, that's me looking for something else than what they were presenting to me, if it did, if those things did present themselves to me, then I'm sure I would have engaged with this film a lot more thoroughly, but getting back to this idea of what they were parodying, and especially, specifically when it comes to what they were, uh, what low-budget horror tropes they were parodying, there's so many things in here upon, upon reflection. I mean, first and foremost, you have an, an isolated cabin in the woods. Um, not just that, an isolated cabin in the woods that, of course, is on Native American land. Um, 
in that cabin and around the land, you have this, you know, you have a history of mysterious disappearances, you know, the finding of these macabre uh, antiquities around the property and in, in, in the, in these pictures and in these, in this book and in these uh, video recordings, um, you do have elements of, <clears throat> excuse me, found footage, um, but it just so happens to be found footage of our characters after, <clears throat> excuse me, during, and then before events transpired to them, a kind of a weird um, lost highway uh, thing, if, if you will, in the sense of, you know, uh, someone noticing or, 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 or two people um, partaking or not partaking in, but uh, watching and engaging with recordings of them without realizing what was happening to them. And then, of course, um, you have a, an esoteric European man who basically explains the entire plot to them, or basically explains all the motifs and the themes to them. And, and it's funny because I was watching this uh, film while my wife was doing some other work around the apartment, and, you know, she took a break at a certain point to kind of sit down and eat something during the sequence where Mike was um, interacting with this uh, esoteric European man, and her comment was something to the effect of, oof, this screenplay. And i got to tell you, at the time... I was 100% in agreement with her because it just seemed so nebulous what this guy was talking about, but also so, I don't know if this makes sense, so nebulous but so on the nose, at least nebulous in the sense of um, he, he, was, he was basically, uh, his, his insight was into something which is grandiose and not entirely specific and yet it was so on the nose because you could tell at that moment this was the filmmakers trying to explain exactly what was happening in the film because the rest of it up to that point was basically a slow burn um laying some small hints but um not necessarily funneling the narrative to a logical conclusion you kind of had this guy explaining to mike but also wink wink nudge nudge to you the audience here is what's happening and it's very specific, not specific, it is very pointed in what it is trying to do, and also seems very, at the time it happens, seems very clunky in the sense of, it has a feel of the two filmmakers kind of basically being like, maybe we haven't done enough work to explain what's going on, so we'll have this guy basically lay out the groundwork for you. Um, but then, once I started reading and researching, kind of realizing that in itself could very well be on purpose because of how it's parodying this a lot of these tropes of this low-budget horror, including having this quote-unquote esoteric sort of mystic narrator explaining everything that is happening to you. Um, and it was two things, uh, two readings, which actually kind of clued me into this and had, had me sort of starting to reevaluate um, the film and what it was trying to do with those, um, with those tropes and with those parodies. One of them was actually, um, strangely enough, um, an IMDb review, which I don't often read, and I didn't go exploring this one, but it was just when I looked up um, Resolution on IMDb, it was just kind of the first one that came up, and it was actually a, a nine-star review um, that was entitled, Brilliant, but probably too subtle for fans brought up on Saw and Grave Encounters. And this is just one, I mean, it's a very long review, but this is just one piece that I'll read, which kind of helped clue me into what Benson and Moorhead were doing with this film. This re reviewer says, unlike money, money, unlike many clever stories, and I'm putting air quotes around clever because that's what this reviewer did, 
Unlike many clever stories, Resolution is in no way self-congratulatory. There's nothing trite about the way the film unfolds and that element of hipster cool so often prevalent in movies that deliberately shirk cookie-cutter modes of filming and storytelling is mercifully absent. And I have to admit, that, that was my first... Um, uh, that's, that's why my first impression was that um, they were doing the best they, they could with what they had instead of trying to... instead of really kind of being aware and examining what they were actually doing. It, it wasn't that they were working around budget limitations, but they were leaning into it, which isn't to say they had, you know, millions of dollars to make this movie, and they shirked that in order to make this um, meta-examination of these uh, trite tropes, but they included all of them in it without kind of being wink-wink, nudge-nudge about it, uh, because what they were trying to do was make some type of comment on these low-budget tropes, which are at that time, which were so prevalent in horror filmmaking. I mean, this came out in 2012. We were kind of in the midst of the the found footage, like, um, you know, fascination, in, at least in America. I mean, just a, I think it was just a year before um, the first VHS film had come out, and it was only, I think, a, a year or two, probably two years after this one, that VHS Viral would be the third one that would come out, in which they would have a segment in it, which was the best one, Bone Storm. Um, but... There was there was this kind of this fascination with a, a low budget um, subgenre of horror, which was very good at a or very good I should say, which was very concerned with a certain aesthetic, without kind of really worrying about a good story or good characters. Basically, um, we're more concerned with delivering certain expectations, checking off certain boxes than it was kind of getting you emotionally invested, which is why a lot of uh, found footage films are basically forgotten. I mean, sure, we have, you know, the big ones that, that we focus on, such as, um, you know, Paranormal Activity, you know, the whether it's the first or the third one or, or whatever one is your favorite one, um, or, you know, one of the VHS ones, or um, one of my favorites, which is really Overlooked, The Bay, uh, but yet there was, for every good one, there was probably three or four which were just cast aside, which were just kind of made to, to, to get a quick buck, um, but weren't actually very good. I mean, we think of something like um, the Chernobyl Diaries or um, the Vatican Tapes or um, even, uh, I believe it was that, that short-lived ABC show, The River, uh, which was executive produced by Oren Pelly, um, but was, you know, one season of uh, a, a team kind of going into the Amazon to try and find uh, their professor mentor who disappeared. And the entire, it's an entire TV show of found footage. And it's just, each episode was just an entire, like a, an exercise in diminishing returns, basically. And so we're right in the middle of that movement. And we have two filmmakers who are trying to make a movie that are basically parroting those every one of those elements that you would see in this kind of movie, um, but not being smug about it, but not kind of winking at the camera and being like, see, we recognize how ridiculous this is. Instead, they include it in a film which is all about the manipulation of story. Um, I mean, uh, e even the conclusion makes sense in that context, in the context of the ending or, or, or the, the, the narrative conclusion of Chris and Mike's story, <clears throat> excuse me, does, don't really, it doesn't really make sense, or at least it felt 
contrary to the the core of who those two characters were. Um, And it infuriated me until we actually have a moment at the very end in which whatever entity is in charge of manipulating this story kind of literally rises up and growls. And you hear Mike say something like, something to the effect of like, maybe should we try it again or should we try it another way? Basically nullifying or or hinting that the way that they have chosen to live out their story is not correct or not the way that it should be played out. Um, because I, I was I remember being very fascinated by if not Chris and Mike as people, because their their banter and their engaging with each other is can kind of sometimes be a little bit obnoxious. Um, but <clears throat> what was interesting to me was their how we had two characters who clearly care about each other, but were also so very flawed, and as I saw, were going to be inflexible in their approach to life and their approach to each other. Um, it's heartbreaking but fascinating that at some point Chris has his little speech where he's basically just he he lays out that he believes in an inescapable fate and just kind of says like let me let me die. This is just who I am. There's no fixing me. And and even and bring up the idea that like, you know, you know what would happen if I was born in your family? I'd be in your family but just still addicted to drugs. And just he has this idea that he can't be fixed, that he can't be changed, that this is his inescapable fate. And contrasting that is Mike, who very clearly has a savior complex, who very clearly is avoiding things in his life whether it be his um, being a father, or his, um, or or even just kind of being married, um, trying to fix something outside of his life because he doesn't he, he wants to avoid his 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 fate maybe, or he he doesn't believe in his his life being fixed. Um, you have these two people who are basically kind of inflexible, colliding with each other, and I remember thinking partway through like there's if this ends happily, I'm going to be upset or at least it it doesn't make sense to me that it would end happily so then once again when we have that in the confines of a story or or a film in which the general theme is um here's an entity that wants a good story done by filmmakers who are parodying bad storytelling we have two characters who arrive to a conclusion of a path which is i think wrong and bad and that's when the entity rises up and the film and the filmmakers are basically telling us, like, yes, this is wrong, this is bad, it doesn't make sense to end on this. And that's when the film um, literally ends. Um, so even even their, their resolution, uh, title of the film, even their resolution, the resolution of their journey, the resolution of this film, is reversed because it is incorrect, it is wrong, and it is brought about because of a confluence of bad storytelling and bad horror tropes basically but once again done without being smug about it done without patting themselves on the back and 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 kind of um being funny basically and i think that's why i was not kind of clued into what they were trying to do because unlike something like cabin in the woods which is a film i love to be clear um it wasn't funny so it wasn't very clear. I mean, there are, there are moments of humor, but it wasn't very clear that this film was trying to parody something because it wasn't trying to make you laugh first and foremost. Instead, it was including all these bad archetypes and all these kind of tired tropes 
using that to get to a conclusion which doesn't make sense so that at the end they could clue you in and say, of course this doesn't make sense. Look back at everything we've done and you'll see that this was never supposed to make sense because a lot of these things don't make sense and are bad in their inclusion to begin with. I'd have to say my biggest complaint is that um, things speed along pretty quickly near the end. Um, Both characters kind of buy into this esoteric sort of grandiose nebulous idea pretty quickly um and i understand how they tried to set it up i just don't think the execution was great with it um i mean you know we have this esoteric european man who's talking about you know every story has to have a beginning a middle and an end and that sort of thing Uh, and yet without anything kind of being explicit um supporting that uh mike and then Chris, in turn, seemed to buy in pretty quickly pretty quickly to this idea that, hey, there's an entity controlling everything that wants to have a good story to end everything. Um, and I, I can understand that idea on principle, but because the film had... It, it didn't seem to me that that, that that was earned, necessarily, that it didn't build up specifically to that conclusion... Um, I mean, once again, we have a lot of these horror tropes, and we do have a lot of things where, especially when it when it comes down to kind of the found footage elements where Mike and Chris are seeing things that they, uh, you know, just did or things that they are currently doing, and then, of course, at the end, things that will happen. That's, that, that's sort of a, a fun moment where it's like, okay, here's irrefutable proof of something strange happening. Um, you know, I, I like to think of the Groundhog Day moment where Phil sits down, read it in the diner and kind of like lays out everything he knows about her and you know this is what Larry is going to come in and say specifically to you and it's that moment where our you know one of our characters basically realizes this can't be fake this can't be made up there's something outside happening here so that moment on paper I appreciate but I don't really believe that um everything that happened before that points to this specific idea of some supernatural entity which is manipulating everything on purpose and because really the the biggest proof that we have of that is this esoteric european man who kind of lays it out but also not in such a specific way and so maybe that in itself is purposely nonsensical but that that's that makes it hard that that's harder for me to accept um because there's basically no outside of that there's nothing else which kind of supports that specific idea maybe i missed something that is entirely possible, but that's kind of my one complaint is that the, there's a feeling of we're going to believe this and move on because we have to eventually get to this conclusion instead of uh, because it naturally um, makes sense. So I think ultimately, um, and I will link to this uh, on the Facebook page, my, my thoughts are kind of summed up um, pretty effectively by uh, the Resolution Film Review from the AV Club that was published back in January of 2013. Um, written by Scott Tobias, and I'll I'll rip this out word for word because what better, uh, it doesn't serve me to, to summarize it as much as just to completely rip it off, and um, yeah, anyway, but he says, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Scott Moorhead from a screenplay by Benson, Resolution gets further in its conceit than its execution, which is full of tension-free long gears and dialogue artlessly punctuated by profanity. Yet the steady accumulation of WTF developments carries a lot of intrigue over what all these disparate clues mean, or whether they're even supposed to add up to something. 
Benson and Moorhead have made a horror film for jaded aficionados, deconstructing and reconstructing tired elements into a gnarled, distinctive Frankenstein's monster. This monster might ransack a village, but it would have to think about it first. Um, and that kind of sums it up to me. This idea, which is very clever on paper, um, but not perfect in its execution, basically. Um, and maybe a little bit too clever. Not in the sense of, once again, not in the sense of, um, you know, these guys were too navel-gazing or these guys were too pretentious or anything, but just... It wasn't what I was expecting, so a lot of those things were lost on me. But it was a clever film, a film which is meta on purpose, not trying to skirt around and work around budget limitations, but to lean into it to say something about the horror landscape at the time the film was released. So, really appreciated a, a very good debut feature from two guys who ultimately then, you know, of course went on to make Spring, which I really enjoyed, and then um, Endless, which I will, of course, be talking about next week, but um, if you want to take a peek at it, uh, again, if you're someone like me who kind of missed everything um, and ha have sort of had your eyes open to some of this research and some of the stuff that I've been talking about and want to re-examine it, um, Resolution is free to stream if you are uh, a Prime member. Otherwise, you can rent or purchase it on Amazon, on YouTube, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. So that does it for Resolution and for this episode. It's easy enough to get in touch with me if you agree or disagree or have any general comments at all. Just email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at NolanFixesTeeth, or you can uh, catch up on back episodes by going to battleshipretention.com and finding I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop-down menu, or going to idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. So thank you for listening. Sorry for the delay. Uh, it has been a week. And pandemic brain is certainly a thing, so I apologize for um, getting to this late. But um, next week, of course, please tune in because I will be wrapping up Benson, Moorhead, and June with their um, film Endless, which, now that I've seen Resolution, should clue me into a little bit more as to what's going on there. And where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant and a little bit more on time. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.